Happy New Year, Pastor With No Answers listeners. The first episode of 2020, and may that year, 2020, remind us that God wants us to have 2020 vision for our future (laughs) and his provision. I actually had a listener, a, a patron of this podcast, actually, his name's Mike, and he wrote me a very nice email. And at the end, it was a little random, but priceless. He said something to the effect of good luck with all of the 2020 vision from God analogies that the church will be using this year. And I think he's right. And I'm sure some of it will be good. So it's okay. It's just a joke. This past year has actually been marked with a lot of personal suffering and lots of pain, lots of change. A lot of you know that I went through a severe depressive episode and our eyes, my wife and I, our eyes have been open to so much. And I plan on sharing this journey with you on this podcast and including her in the discussion as well. I do want to make clear that I don't have a posture of We're over and done with this season. I'm actually learning that after going through something like we did, there's a longer journey ahead. And I feel like the worst is over, but this is certainly more of a rebuilding and recovery time than it is a go full speed ahead time. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your prayers, encouragement, and hope for me when I had I actually lost mine. Another tough change I'm recovering from is the huge loss of Bad Christian. And most of you know that I was co-host and co-owner of that show for years and am no longer. Many of you have asked for my side of the story. So I had every intention of sharing my perspective. In fact, it's what helped me endure the last few weeks of my silence, knowing that I would eventually say my piece. And as things came to a close at the end of the year, I actually found myself very unpeaceful and and grieved. Now, you know, I don't love to over-spiritualize things, but for me, I have really no other way to describe what happened next but divine intervention It was the first time I felt compelled to give up my need to be heard. I realized that my plan to describe everything that happened would actually only be for me and for self-serving purposes. I also realized there was a difference between the value of transparency and publicly trying to keep my ego intact by making sure everyone understood my perspective. I've been plagued, honestly, by feeling like it incriminates me if I don't say something. But me letting go of needing everyone to understand me is actually a lesson long overdue. And it's crazy. As I surrender to this, what I would call breakthrough, I finally felt the beginning of of true peace. And I still believe in forgiveness and unconditional love, of course. And I also know that this doesn't always get to entail being able to put all the pieces back together as they were. So I want to say that I love and already miss the Bad Christian community, and it was indeed an honor to be a part of it. 
I'm thankful for the people I've met and the relationships I still have because of my time there. I've shed many tears over this undescribable loss. This part of my life has come to a close and I accept that, but still fondly cherish all of the memories. Loving the church and challenging it, having a safe place to question one's faith without losing it, learning from one another and continuing to prioritize love for all, even those very different from us. I just want to close by saying that these are things that my heart beats for, and I'm excited to continue that with many of you. I want to thank you guys for listening to this, and for those of you that continue to listen to this podcast, I appreciate your support and looking forward to 2020. The pastor with no answers, and we are talking about open theology today. Very intriguing. So it's kind of like this. If God gave everybody free will, then just by people having free will, God can't necessarily know what people are going to do with that free will. If it's totally free, then how can God know the future? So this open theology, actually many Christians ascribe to it. They don't believe that God knows the future. And there's so many interesting things about this to at least discuss and ponder on. Um, So I invited Thomas Ord. I would say he's one of the leading, one of the leading proponents or believers in this and has written a book called God Can't. And it's very, very interesting. I say that about all these episodes. That's because I think they're all interesting, but I think this one is like really, really interesting. So Jack Hoy, the lesser, and by the way, he gave himself that name. We didn't give him that name. That'd be very mean and, and, and just despicable. But his dad comes on this podcast sometimes as well. And so Jack, the son, is the lesser. And both of us who do not descri- uh, ascribe to open theology, we have a uh, a bunch of questions we want to ask and you know we try to poke some holes in this as well but i will say that hearing from thomas ord uh, this definitely is not some crazy far-fetched deal that should be discounted as heresy i mean it it is something that i think is a valid way of seeing things just not one in which i do so hope you guys enjoy so we are here with Tom Ord, and Tom, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of him. He wrote the book, God Can't, and for some of you, just hearing the title of that book sends chills down your spine. We have Jack Hoy with us as well. So here's the deal. I have asked, we, we do some Ask Jack episodes in which I throw some questions towards Jack that he isn't prepared for and we listen to him fumble around for five minutes or so and sometimes he throws some smart things at us <laughs> but we that's really no different than like when i respond to questions i have prepared for there's fumbling no matter what so i have asked jack what he's thought about open theology and he has readily admitted that he really doesn't have a whole lot of thoughts on it just because he hasn't looked into it. But the very little that he has said on air has pissed 
some listeners off, and I would say that I'm exaggerating a little bit, but Jack has gotten some flack as far as, man, you know, you don't really understand, you haven't looked into it, and blah, 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 blah. So, once again, yeah. I feel like an intellectual third wheel. We got two smart guys on the show, so I'm going to try to keep up. But, uh, Tom, here's what I want to do is I want to give like a quick summary of what I think the important ingredients of open theology is and then you tell me what's wrong or what needs to be added to it or ha 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 that's laughable or whatever you want to say and uh, then we'll just go from there how about that sounds like a good plan all right awesome so what i wrote down is i think that the basic foundation of of open theology uh, open theology is that people have free will and the very nature of free will would eliminate any possibility of the future being known so just as god can't do things like he can't be alive and dead at the same time most of us would say that god can't lie God can't make a circle, a triangle at the same time. It's either going to be a circle or a triangle. There's just things that God can't do, and that doesn't make him less powerful. So because people have free will, the nature of free will would say God can't know what people are going to do because free will can't be known. Because he can't know the future, he's limited in power because he never quite knows what's going to happen and that should help us a great deal when it comes to making sense of the evil in this world because we have an all-powerful God an all-loving God but uh, uh, I'm sorry let me er erase that we have an all-loving God but we do not have an all-powerful God powerful God because God doesn't know the future and so evil happens because God couldn't stop it because he couldn't see it coming so that's my little snapshot am i coming close to the important parts of it tom i think so yeah i think you've got the general drift there's obviously some nuances and some different turns of phrase that i would i would use i would probably start off by saying what's the fundamental assumption of open theology is something that probably a lot of people never even thought about and that is the assumption that God experiences time sequentially. In other words, God has a real past and the future is really a future for, it's open for God. And that may sound like something that most people have not thought about. They've said things like, well, God is outside of time or God created time or God is timeless. And open theists like to say, you know, if you read the Bible, it sure sounds like God is learning things. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, I will do X. But if they do Y, I will do this, as if God's not sure what they're going to do. And so it's this co commitment to a God who experiences time that places open theists different from most people. That then affects how we think about free will, is how, and that's how you started the explanation. So what an open theist will say is that God could only know the future with absolute certainty, and I mean all of the future, with absolute certainty, if that future were fixed, settled, complete. But if that future is fixed, settled, and complete, it sure feels like we wouldn't have genuine free will to choose amongst options because God would already know what 
things we would choose because it's already been decided. And so it's hard to imagine that we're really truly free if the future is totally known with certainty by God. That then sort of begins to work at some other issues that you've brought up. So open theists are going to say, you know, these themes of love sure seem like they jump out in the Bible. That seems like they're prominent. And uh, in fact, it seems like if we take love as first in God, then we need to rethink God's power, what God can and can't do. And here I should I should qualify something. Uh, open theists have a variety of views about God's power. And so today I'm going to be talking about my own particular view. Not every open theist would agree with everything I say about God's power. But for me, I think God's love is self-giving and others empowering. And God always loves because that's God's nature. And if love is inherently self-giving and others empowering, that means that God simply can't control others. If God's giving them power, even if they're the small entity, a quark, a cell, a worm, a dog, if God's giving them kind of power, God can't take it away or withdraw it, so God can't control them. That's my own particular view of open theism. What do you think of gotcha. that? All right. Yeah, so before I throw this over to Jack, here's what I would say about that. Now, I'll just be totally vulnerable, is I think, I think that makes perfect sense and I would say the reason why I am not an open theist is, A, I don't want to be. Um, B, I would say that in the same way, I don't think I could ever not be a Christian just because of, I mean, we'll put this to the side right now, but most importantly, experience. And I, I, I truly feel like I have a relationship with the, the God of the Bible, Jesus, Holy Spirit, but when I think of when I so when I think of being a Christian, I, like I said, I don't think I could ever not be one. I've the forty-two years of my life, I've always thought of God as invincible, unstoppable, uh, all-powerful, sees everything and knows everything and knows the future and and all of that. And so I'd say there's just some stuff that's so hardwired it would really take a lot for me to change that but I, I mean I I'll go on the record to say I don't think you sound crazy at all I don't think it's far-fetched and I don't think it should be off the table of discussion by any means and I'd go so far as to say maybe you're right Jack yeah so um I want to give a, a little bit more background to what you were saying, Joey, um, earlier about kind of the history of you and my conversations about this. So I can't remember when it was, probably a few years ago, you and I were talking, and it's funny, I don't even remember us talking about open theism. All I know is the, ne the next day, Twitter, <laughs> the source of all good things, um, my, my Twitter mentions were kind of uh, full of like a half dozen people who were, <laughs> who were like mad at me about open theism, and I'm like, Wait, what? What are you guys even talking about? I, ever, I don't. It was the next day, and I didn't even remember talking about it. Um, and um, I think probably the reason I didn't remember talking about it was so open theism, um, kind of at least in terms of my radar, in terms of when it became prominent, in terms of uh, people started writing books, 
um, kind of like the the really aggressive the four and against and you know Greg Boyd and you know kind of all those guys was about 2004 I think it was, and so I was in college and um, I was you know taking theology classes and stuff like that and um, heard about it and it was kind of the same time that all these books were popping up and and so you know uh, I I read a bunch um, by uh, by you know guys who were very very much for it and guys who were who were against it and. Um, I kind of spent, gosh, probably six months uh, reading a whole lot and kind of came away feeling like, okay, like I have a handle on this and I feel like I know what I believe about it. And then I stopped thinking about it (laughs) for, you know, it's like the, you know, I I felt like satisfied that I had uh, kind of, um, that I, that I understood what it was and that I understood the reasons for it and against it. And then I moved on with my life. And until that, that conversation with you yeah. um, and people are like, and kind of one of the things that says is a thing, like everything's different now. It's changed a lot and you really need to revisit. And I thought, okay, well, gosh, maybe. Um, and so I looked into it a little bit and kind of my, my, and this was probably like two, three years ago. And kind of my takeaway a few years ago was, no, I, I don't think it has so much um, actually. Uh, and, and that's not a criticism. That's just like, no, it still seems to be exactly um you know, what it was when I was, when I was reading about it, uh, several years ago. Um, and you know, I, I think my, my take, that's such a terrible word, but my, my take, my view is that, you know, open theism to me is something that is, um, kind of like you're saying, Joey, it is something that I am, uh, extremely, um, sympathetic to, I hope that doesn't sound condescending. It's not meant to be, but sympathetic to, in the sense that, um, I understand, uh, what, uh, what it wants to achieve, right? Cause there are, uh, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of problems, um, with God and there are a lot of problems with our understanding of him and our, our, our ability to relate to him because, um, if he's any kind of God worth our time, he's, he's gotta be above us in some ways. Um, you know, like the, the people, you know, uh, people thousands of years ago, um, ancient Near East, um, you know, antiquity, they didn't serve the gods because they loved them. They served the gods because the gods were kind of like the, uh, you know, the the neighborhood thugs that you wanted to pay for their protection and you didn't really want to get on their bad side. And boy, if they liked you, it sure was good, um, but you didn't love them. And I think that the the very nature of Christianity is to posit that our God is a God who doesn't just love us, but is worthy of love. And um, if someone is, you know, a monster, if someone is evil, if someone is degenerate, um, <clears throat> it's sort of, you know, uh, we don't really necessarily feel the need to wrestle quite so much. There is always the, gosh, what made them this way? But we don't really feel the need to, you know, work through all of these minutiae. But when it's someone we love and it's someone that we want to be deserving of our love, it's sort of like when there is something about them that we don't understand or when there is something about them that is difficult, um, that causes immediate tension and a little bit of fear and insecurity. And so, um, and, and th- that's in, in general, right? Like any, any difficulty we have about God, and I've got plenty, um, things that like thinking about them uh, – you know, makes me feel uh, anxious and insecure and, uh, you know, sort of like this, that I have this thing about God that kind of makes me a little bit afraid because I don't understand it. And if the thing that I think is true isn't true, what would that change um, about my life? And so, um, boy, this is a long rambling answer. See, the fumbling, the fumbling. Uh. Um, 
but and so what we do is like like we we need to we need to figure out that and i think that for me open theism is the really earnest attempt because there are a lot of um oh gosh i don't know there, there are a lot of attempts to wrestle with god that are based in motivations that i don't think are especially great um or at least tend towards some really negative things but i've always thought that open theism is something that really tries to wrestle with something about god in a really earnest way um, and comes from a desire to uh, to uh, kind of help people grow closer to God. Um, yeah. So what would you, what would you say towards the just impossibility for people to have free will and God to know? You would just chalk that up to yeah. well, we just don't understand stuff. Like God's thoughts and ways are higher than ours, so. How are we mm -hmm. supposed to figure that out? Yeah. Well, you know, I think one of the things is, so there's a thing that, and we all say this, but um, the, whenever, and, and actually, Tom, I think you, you said it at one point, um, the, you know, when someone says, I can't imagine a God who would, or it's hard to imagine a God who would, one of the things I think I've said, Joey, on, on this a number of times, and, you know, in person is, I, I, I think that's a really interesting phrase because the statement I can't imagine a God who would. It's interesting because it actually tells us nothing about God and everything about the limits of our own imagination. And um, and I think one of the things that we always need to be careful of, and I mean all of us need to be careful of, is um, am I am I working out my own issues, right? Or am I really working out something about God? Like, am I trying to work out something about me, or am I trying to work out something about God? Um, it's awfully hard to and, distinguish those two yeah. sometimes, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, so one thing that I've said before is, I mean, for a long time, uh, not a long time, but like college and the years after I was, you know, uh, very reformed, very Calvinistic. And um, it's not so much that I stopped affirming everything about that theology. There are a number of things about that I would be fine affirming. But I, I uh, said, so like, I, I stopped being reformed when I realized that the reason I loved the reformed God is because he looked so much like me. Uh and that was sort of the moment of, oh, like, well, no wonder I'm drawn to this. It affirms everything about me. Um, well, one of the things, and I think that is one of the things yeah. that helps me to get past this, you know, am I making God in my own image or am I really mm. talking about the true God? I mean, how do you, how can you know that for sure? Uh, but one of the things that helps me is to talk about different models of God. In other words, different ways mm -hmm. of talking about God, God's knowledge, God's power, God's love, God's relation to us, etc. And kind of lining those models up and saying, OK, what do we like and not like about these particular models? And of course, I'm in the camp that likes the open theology model better than the others. And one of the reasons I like it is that it helps me deal with really common kinds of piety, a uh, personal experience stuff that Joey was mentioning. For instance, take the issue of what Christians usually call petitionary prayer. Suppose you're mm -hmm. praying for someone who's got an illness, excuse me, illness. Um, if you are praying and asking God to heal this person, and yet the future has already been settled and decided, and God foreknows everything that's going to ever happen, your prayers really don't make a difference. God doesn't really respond to your prayers because God's already got things settled and foreknown. So it's hard to make sense of petitionary prayer. Plus, if you're like me and think that God can't control others, 
it's a really strange thing to be asking God to heal someone as if God's sitting back, arms folded, saying, you know, I'm not going to act unless you ask me. I have to be conjoled. I ha- you have to plead and beg, pray 87 times before I do something. I mean, that's not a picture of a loving God. If you've got a God who's always acting to the utmost, trying to heal, and our prayers may some way open up new avenues and new possibilities, and we can cooperate and God responds, all of a sudden you've got a model of God that fits the way most of us, I think, actually pray when we're talking, when we're uh, asking God to do something to help other people. Hmm, Jack. Jack. Yeah, <laughs> this isn't, well, it's, yeah, but that's not new uh, in the sense that like, it's like, well, the free will thing is interesting. Like the, one of the things that I, I would always, you know, tell and, you know, when, once you leave college, you lose the wonderful debate to, or the wonderful ability to debate people about things at two in the morning in your dorm room. But one thing is that like, you know, Arminians would always be like, you have this problem, but what about free will? And I'd kind of like, well, like you guys have the same problem. Um, and the reason they have the same problem is because the Armenians believe that God is omniscient. And it's like, guys, you have the same problem. Every, basically, and again, like open theism said, everyone has this problem. And, uh, and, just and clarify, even open theism has the problem. Just to clarify, yes. so what you're saying, and I'm, I'm agreeing with you, yeah. is that in the question yeah. of free will, most Armenians think God does know the future. And what makes open theists right. different from most Armenians is they don't think God does know the future. So we overcome that obstacle. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to clarify yeah. your list. Well, it's, your it's interesting. Yeah, right. Exactly. So it's like the, the, like the everyone who believes in an omniscient God has a problem with free will. And, and one of the things that, you know, I, I really think is, is important, you know, in a discussion with open theism is I think it's really important for, for people like me and, uh, and, and well, I assume Joey, um, but who, who would sort of, uh, you know, disagree and, and affirm, you know, uh, more, I guess would be considered traditional, um, you know, Christian, Christian thought about God's omniscience is uh, just because I don't think open theism is right doesn't mean that I don't think free will is a problem. Like it is a problem. And I don't think we, like, we never help people by pretending like things aren't problems. Um, But problems aren't bad. Uh, Problems are just things we don't understand. And there are things that we don't understand. And the goal of of things we don't understand is not to resolve the tension as quickly as possible so that we can all feel better. I think that's a very American thing to do, right? We don't like discomfort and we don't like tension. And so we got to fix it. And it's like, we're going to make it worse because you don't know what you're doing. Um, um, is there, if yeah. I jump in here, I know this isn't, Please. this isn't really a debate between the two of us, oh, so no. this is a conversation, but I did want to, uh, actually, uh, object to one of your claims. So I want to oh, disagree with you. <laughs> please um, I think open theists do want to say that God is omniscient, that God knows everything that's knowable. So we don't say, well, since God doesn't know the future, God must not be omniscient. What we say is, you know what? God doesn't know the future because that's not something that's knowable by anyone. It's not data to be known. So God knows everything that's possible to be known, what happened in the past, what's currently happening in the present. Our thoughts. What's possible, our thoughts, even before that comes into our action. God knows everything that's possible to know. So we kind of reshape omniscience in a particular mm-hmm. way by saying, you know what, you used to think that, or other people think that there's something to be known about the future as if it's actual and settled and fixed. But that's, in our view, not a good way to think. So we do think God is omniscient. 
Okay. Um, so he, here's one question. So in, in terms of God in the future, um, does what open theism posit, uh, or, you know, I don't want, I'm not asking you to speak for all of open yeah. theism, <laughs> but w- would you posit that does God know every single possible outcome in the future? God knows all the possibilities. I guess that's kind of like, like, how much knowledge does he have about the future? Yeah. Open theists have different views on this, so I'll just speak for myself. I think God knows all the possible outcomes for the future, but doesn't know which outcome will become actual until choices are made or things happen in the world. So, yeah, God knows all the possibilities. All right, so let me throw some. Well, Jack, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought. If you <laughs> no, I need I'm a, I need time to process. Okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> All right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bother you while you're processing. Then, so I've got some questions that I think, in the context of open theology, this these sorts of things are are super interesting to me. So, once God tunes into something, so. And, and, you know, for our listeners that this is annoying to keep hearing, he, 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 I know God is not uh, gendered, so I'm just saying he. Maybe I should throw she in sometimes, but God is called the Father. So, But once God tunes into something like, okay, I, I see something happening, I know what's happening, at that point, is he an unstoppable force or, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it kind of silly, or can a bunch of demons and Satan show up to the scene and put up a good fight and maybe get God in a full Nelson and keep doing what they're doing? So in other words, once God sees something that's happening, is he invincible and unstoppable? No, God's not unstoppable, at least in the sense of God is always going to get God's way no matter what happens. So uh, because I really truly believe in free will and believe that I can sin, which is doing something other than what God wants, then I can actually thwart God's plans. For instance, if God's plan for my life is to live a life of love, but I start beating my wife and abusing my children, I'm thwarting God's plan for my life. And therefore, God's not unstoppable. Or to to avoid the double negative, God is stoppable (laughs) in that particular scenario. But but what I'm saying is once once God is aware of something playing out because of someone's free will, so it's no longer a guess. It's no longer, I don't know what they're going to do. God sees exactly what's going on. If he shows up to the scene, and, and is he omnipresent? Like... Yes, God is present to all creation, knows everything possible. And God's always tuned in, in my view. So it's not like God suddenly sure. becomes aware of something. But you're, scenario, you're asking, once God sort of sees the way things are playing out, can God then make sure something happens that God wants to have right. does God Does God fully get his way at that point? Not as, so long as creatures have any kind of possibility to say no to God. So, you know, I mean, I've been on diets in which I go month after month eating healthy, but then I, my momentum is going this way. You think that I would just continue to eat right. And yet then I eat something crappy. I make a bad decision. Yeah. Now you would think that if my momentum was going this way, it would be inevitable that I'd be a healthy eater the rest of my life. Nope. I still have free will and I choose wrongly. So if I said, is God limited in his power, you would say, 
yes, only in regards or only in the context of the fact that he can't predict the future because of free will. I think God's power is, quote, limited, and I'm putting air quotes around that word limited because I think that's a pejorative word, in three kinds of ways. Two of those ways are not original to me, and the third one is original to me. So the first one you've already stated earlier in the interview, and that is God can't do what is illogical. God can't make a round square. Almost every Christian theologian in history have said that God's power is limited that way. That's not a new idea. Jack, are you good with that? Oh yeah, yeah. Quinn yeah, yeah, like, like, like you said, that that's not that's not an original thing. That that's that's a, kind of a principle that's very very longstanding. So then there's a second way that roughly 50% of Christians in history have thought is a quote limitation on God, and the other half of of Christian theologians have disagreed. And that's the idea that God can't contradict God's own nature. And this mm -hmm. is the debate in technical terms between the voluntarists who think that God can voluntarily do whatever God wants to do because God's sovereign will comes first, and the essentialists, those people who think that God's essence comes first. And so God can't say, you know, this existing necessarily really sucks. I'm going to die tomorrow and be gone. Nope. The essentialists say, nope, it's God's essence or God's nature to exist. And so God is, quote, limited in power because God can't decide not to exist. So those are fairly common ways of talking about God's limited power. What makes my view different is this. I say God's nature is love. And love is self-giving and others empowering, not only to complex creatures like you and me, but to all animals, insects, down to the smallest levels of creation. And because God loves everyone and everything, and God's love is inherently uncontrolling, God can't control anyone or anything. God influences all the time at all places, but never controls at any time and at any place. God can't or God won't? Ah, mm. that's the key question. I go so far as to say God can't. A bunch of my open theist friends will say God won't. They'll say God allows evil or permits evil that God could have stopped. But I don't think that's a good way to talk because it says then that God, for some whatever reason, some mysterious reason, decided not to intervene to prevent some evil. And here, so, here if you don't mind... Um, I get tons of letters from people who've read my God Can't book and who find it really helpful. And let me read just one of those letters to illustrate the difference between can't and won't, okay? So uh, this woman writes, I will tell you a bit about my story. I'm a survivor of sexual abuse, a lot and for a long time by my brother. In the midst of the worst years of my life, I had a very vivid dream of God walking over to my bed as I was being raped. God simply reached out his hand and held mine and cried. For a few short days, I was elated. God hadn't left me after all. Then came the anger. Anger that God was there. And instead of stopping it, he simply held my hand and watched. For a long time, years, I was angry about that. I prayed for a breakthrough, but I never got it. 
so I buried it. Now, reading through your book, praying and contemplating, I can see more clearly what may have been happening. God could not stop my brother because God gives free will. How could God have stopped him? The reality is that God couldn't, not that he didn't. And for me, this is a complete game changer. That's the difference between can't and won't. The God who won't intervene to stop the rape is not a God that this person, and I think a lot of victims and survivors, thinks is truly loving and trustworthy. A God who can't single-handedly stop what's happening, that's not a God to be blamed for what has happened in the world. Now, and, and funny enough, I can't think of examples, but aren't there examples in the Bible where God has intervened? I mean, it would, would the Red Sea not count because it's not dealing with with the actual humans it's dealing with creation i have a challenge for you and all of your listeners all right i'm willing to give a thousand dollars oh snap to anybody who can find a single passage in the bible that explicitly says god single-handedly brought something to occur and there was no creaturely cooperation or contribution at all almost all passages talk about both god and creatures and those that only mention God don't explicitly say there wasn't any creaturely interaction. And this includes the beginning of the world, the creation, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, the resurrection of Jesus, every miracle I know, parting the Red Sea, the eschatology, all of them. We've come to the Bible with a view that God has this kind of power to single-handedly, boom, get something done all alone. And yet I can't find a single biblical uh, amount of support for that kind of view and i say we i mean not only just you and me but like biblical scholars who dedicate their life to this they have this assumption in the back of their mind that god has this kind of controlling power now most of them don't think that god exercises that controlling power all the time but they think that god you know every once in a while to get the job done will step in and bang out something single-handedly but I can't find a single passage of scripture that explicitly says that. Ask God. So, all right. So, here. Well, so, so, explain a little bit more about how that applies to to Genesis before there are any creatures in existence, though. Because I'm sure you've thought yeah, through so that. Yeah. So we have. Yeah. So Genesis one says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Mm -hmm. The earth was a formless void, and the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep." Even many conservative evangelical biblical scholars say we don't have creation out of nothing in Genesis. In fact, the only passage in the Bible that mentions creation out of nothing is in 2 Maccabees, which is not in the Protestant canon. And even in that passage, it's not clear that it's absolute nothingness. So even at the beginning, there's a spirit is hovering in relation to the deep. Some people call it chaos. Mm -hmm. Some people call it the realm of possibilities. It's tehom in, yeah. in Hebrew. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, the doctrine of creation out of nothing isn't an explicitly biblical doctrine. It rose first from some Gnostics and then was adopted by Christian theologians fairly early on in Christian history, although it's not part of the creeds or anything mm -hmm. like that. It's just kind of been affirmed by lots of Christians over time. Hmm. Interesting. So here's where my mind goes with all of this. How, how, how do we, or who's, who's to know, 
I, I, I can't talk right now. Why don't we have reason to be afraid? You know, if if the concept of let's let's just assume right now that the concept of eternal life is us enjoying communion with the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, one another, and partying and just having the time, you know, having the time of our lives. Who's to say with this sort of God, all hell can't break loose again and people start getting into mischief and we have another Lucifer or we have a bunch of people saying, you know what, this is boring and I don't like it anymore. I mean, if God, it seems like the kind of God that you described, that's a very plausible notion. Yeah. So you're asking... For eternity not to be secure. Yeah. So you're asking an eschatology question. And uh, I've addressed this in a couple of writings. And I think you're right to point out that in this view, since God can't control anyone at any time, not only in this life, but in the next, God can't coerce anyone into heaven. So I'm not a classic universalist who thinks that God ultimately says everybody has to go to heaven whether or not they want to or not. I'm going to force them into heaven. I'm not in that camp. But I am in the camp that says that God never gives up, always calls us to life abundant in this life and the next. And I have the hope that that call will be fully efficacious. Will The redemption of all creation will become a reality, to use the Apostle Paul's language. But I don't have the kind of guarantee that could only come if I had a, a God who had that kind of controlling power. Now, because I don't think God ever gives up, because I think God's love is incredibly persuasive over the long haul, I have strong hope that all will be redeemed, but it's not the same kind of guarantee. Hmm. Is that not scary? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, it's a good question. <laughs> Actually, uh, you're putting your finger on something that bothered me for a few years. Uh, um, I came across a quote from one of my favorite theologians, a guy named John Wesley. And uh, he says, he has a great line. He says, it's as easy for God to redeem all of creation as it is for God to redeem one single soul. Now, in John Wesley's view... God can't redeem a single person single-handedly. There always has to be us saying yes to God's call. And I realize that what he's saying is that if I think that God has redeemed me, if I think that somehow I'm saying yes to God and I can find salvation, then why do I think it's impossible for everybody else to say yes to God? I mean, is everybody else worse than I am? <laughs> it's like, am I the top of the line in virtue and everybody else is really crappy? Or are we all pretty much crappy? And yet God calls out to us and we can respond thanks to God's empowering. Yeah. Jack, would, would this approach make passages like this a little easier? God was grieved at his creation. God changed his mind. Would, would this approach at least make those scriptures pretty easy? Uh, well, sure. I mean, it, it makes it easy. Um, but I guess I've never... You know, I've never had an issue with those passages um, because, you know, it's like to me, they're just clear anthropomorphisms in Scripture. In other words, language that is uh, it describes God doing something um, that is really for the benefit of human readers. Right. Like it talks about the hands of God. Um, 
or, you know, or God changing his mind. And it's sort of like, to me, anthropomorphisms in scripture are attempts by the writers to explain something that they can't understand. And to me, that's good enough, right? Uh, that, that's sort of like the, yeah, that satisfies me. This idea that when we can't explain something, we do what we can. We, we use the language we have available to us to describe it. And that's also how God has always had, like, that's how God has to reveal himself to us. Um, God doesn't reveal himself to people and say, I'm going to describe you, or I'm going to describe myself to you in the most perfect words possible. It's like, well, we don't have those words, right? If, if God described himself to us as he really was in his own words, we don't have the vocabulary for that. So he uses our words, right? And he uses the, the things that we do have. And so to me, you know, the, the passages about uh, God changing his mind or God being grieved or the, um, hey, if you do this, you get this. If you don't, you get this. Those have never bothered me. Um, and so to me, that has always been, I think, the, the, maybe the weakest part of open theism to me, just because I don't think those things are challenging anyway. Um, I think where open theism is strongest is is explicitly in the area of free will and the challenge that anyone who wants to affirm an omniscient God has, right? Um, like, so every day I ask my son what he wants for breakfast, right? Like he's, he's, you know, little, he's got an early start time at school. So he and I are the only ones up. And every day I ask him what he wants for breakfast. And, uh, and it's, it's last week before Christmas. So this week he has donuts. And, uh, and so, uh, it's sort of like the, okay, so, this morning he had donuts. Now, did God know yesterday he was going to have donuts for breakfast today? He either did or he didn't. And if he did, hmm. could he have anything else? And to me, the answer is clearly, well, no. No, he couldn't, because he can't do anything other than what God knows. In the same way, is that, in the same way that I can't be doing anything other than what I am doing with you guys right now. I can't not be doing this podcast with you guys because it's happening, and we all know that it's happening, Right? Um, it doesn't matter how much I want to, um, you know, 10 years from now say, oh, you know, from this time to this time on December 19th, I was doing this. doesn't matter because I was doing this and I know I was doing that and I can never make it otherwise. I think that the, the, what is troubling and, and what is a problem, and I have no problem saying it's a problem, is uh, putting that forward into the future. Because then what we don't understand, and I don't, and what I think is not possible to resolve is how an omniscient God interacts with free will. And for me, um, I have no trouble um, just sitting in that tension. Um, mystery? Yeah. Would you call it mystery? Yeah. I, yeah let would me you call go it to, mystery? Let me go to what Jack said earlier, because I think that second part is gonna, just going to have to be a difference between us in terms of whether or not we want to play the mystery card on that. And open theists don't want to play the mystery card. But the earlier thing, I think Jack, what Jack said is super, super important. And that is this question of, he used the word anthropomorphism. And for your listeners, who've, that's a new word. That basically means that we project onto God characteristics that we ourselves have. And so we might think of this as like a spectrum. And a one in the spectrum is the idea that God is absolutely different from us in every way possible. That's usually called negative theology or apophatic theology. And the other end of the spectrum is God is exactly like you and me. That's anthropomorphism. We might call it absolute anthropomorphism. On that spectrum, 
open theists are closer to anthropomorphism on some issues than other theists. But I don't think it fundamentally comes down to free will, as important as that mm -hmm. is. I think it fundamentally comes down to whether or not we think God's love is anything like our love and our love is anything like God's love. Open theists are willing to bite the bullet if you ask them, are you being anthropomorphic in your projection of what love is like onto God? They're going to say, yep, count me an anthropomorphic person on that one. Because if God's love is totally different from ours, then we have no idea of what it means to imitate God and live a life of love as Christ loved us. We don't have anything to understand what it means to say God is a loving parent, an Abba, a father. We don't understand what it means for God to be a lover, etc., etc., etc. So open theists are going to bite the bullet and say there's going to be some analogies, maybe not total, complete, exactly, our love isn't exactly like God's and vice versa, but there's going to be some important analogies that are going to leave us susceptible to the charge of anthropomorphism. Hmm. All right, so it is a rarity when I actually am pretty persistent here i want to get to, uh, to, <laughs> to all of my questions like good, there's, good, there's good. usually i'm like ah these yeah i can but i'm looking through my questions i'm like i gotta get to them so does this let, let me let me read a passage that that i know by heart most of us probably do trust in the lord with all your heart lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight two things i have about or two questions i have first of all with your angle tom does trusting in the Lord take on a whole different meaning than how we as Christians have operated in, in the way of just trust God? I mean, everything's going to be fine. Just trust God. He has got things and, and things are going to be okay. And then the second thing is, what's this whole and he will make your path straight thing? Does that contradict anything that, or, or how, how does that complement your open theology, him making our path straight. Yeah, I don't think open theists think of that passage much different than most Christians do. I mean, if you think that trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding means you ought to throw out all your mind and just have blind faith, which I don't think most Christians believe that. They may occasionally do that, but they don't think that every everything they ought to throw their minds out. Um, then I think open theists are on the same page. In terms of God making our path straight, I think that is a way of talking about how if we follow God's leading in love, then we enjoy the abundant life that Christ says that we can, uh, we can experience. And so I think you know, we might use a little bit different language to explain the details of that, but open theists can accept that passage with no, no qualms. Okay. And Jack, jump in any time yeah. and don't don't feel don't feel like you have to either. Okay, so, but but you're you're gonna have to interrupt me. Um, so <laughs> so two two verses I'll read. One, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them. I guess I I guess I have uh, no. That's that was uh, English standard. So. Is this not saying that God knows our, our, our days? He has them numbered. He knows how long we're going to live. Yeah. So open theists have done a lot of work on that particular passage and pointed out that the translation of that passage 
Hey, uh, real quick. So I'm I'm asking good questions. Yes, you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It pointed out that the translation of that passage betrays a particular bias by the translators, and it doesn't have to come out sounding as if God somehow foreknows everything that's going to happen. That particular phrase doesn't have to mean that God, uh, you know, knows exactly what you're going to do on your 82nd birthday, assuming you have an 82nd birthday. So this is one of the really interesting things, and this gets a little complex here, but um, I know that <laughs> I may wade into the weeds really quick. The people who translate the original languages to English have particular biases as well, right? We all do. <laughs> and though some of those biases are theological biases, and that's one of the reasons why we have different translations before us. And sometimes a person might have a, we'll call it a traditional theological bias, and make a, uh, uh, make interpretations that sound an awful like they're the traditional way when the original languages don't require one to have that particular translation. One of my favorite passages here is Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to the purpose, yada, yada, yada. If you look across some of the translations, you find pretty wildly different interpretation of that passage. Some of them sound like God's controlling and foreknowing and has it all worked out. Others sound like God is in the midst of things, working with us and calling us to respond. So that's going into the weeds. Sorry. No, no, I like it. All right, so I have another passage, and this is the this is the last scripture that I'll read, but declaring, so this is Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So I I could say, uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll I'll answer for you real quick. I could see, (laughs) (laughs) I could see an open theist saying, "Well, God can orchestrate whatever He wants to do. Like it's not like God says, man, I really want to do such and such, but I just can't.' But it does sound like you're saying God's limited because of people's lack of, uh, or because of people's free will. But this, to me, when I read it firsthand, it just sounds like a God." this he's got he he's got it all you know he's got things going on he's 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 good to go he doesn't need our help he's fine yeah you know i remember uh 30 some years ago i walked down the aisle and i pledged to my wife that i was going to be her loving husband my purpose was to live a life of love and to love her exactly how that was going to play out <laughs> i had no idea <laughs> So uh, maybe we can take that same passage in which God talks about the the purposes and say, you know, God's purposes are not going to fail in the sense that God is always going to love. You can always count on that. God is going to love from now until all eternity. But that's not the same as saying that every little detail along the way, God's going to get God's way no matter what. If that were the case, then we'd have to throw out the category of sin. Because sin seems to suggest that sometimes God doesn't get what God wants. Jack, I'm going to assume that that's not good enough for you. Well, <laughs> well, first of all, I'm going to do one thing real quick, is that Tom has a lot of books in his, and I just got to 
adjust my camera to get as many books in frame as possible. I don't, it's a, it's, a messy office. Listen, it's a too. clear power move on your part, Tom, and I don't like it. All right, there. I got more books. I'm just getting myself. And you've got books in your background. Yes, and I'm getting out of the frame entirely. It's just books. Jack, Jack, we have Jack, we have listeners, not viewers. I know. You're fine. Listen, oh, fine, fine, fine. Listeners, imagine, imagine a visual. Tom, I think Jack that just said that he's intimidated by you. Pure knowledge. That's what you would be looking at. Um, hey, the, yeah. hey, if if Tom had a British accent, it would be oh, over. Just, the, bo- the books and the British accent, unbearable. they would just put you under. Um, <laughs> no, I, well, I, I, you know, I think that, so So here's one of the challenges with, with passages like this, is I think that, um, in a sense, it really depends on what your overall... Um, Like, what is your overall way of frame of reference? What is your overall framework for understanding God? Because, um, you know, if if I put myself into Tom's shoes, I totally get those readings of those passages, right? And so... So are you saying presuppositions, kind of? uh, Presuppositions? No, not necessarily presuppositions. It's, it's It's more of a, this is how kind of whatever your framework is for understanding God, like the, the basic... I So I had some uh, professor once, um, I can't what class it was, but he, he basically said, all right, so basically sum up who... Like sum up God and kind of his character, his nature, sum up everything about God you can in one word. And so we did, and then he said, okay, that word is the lens through which you read all of Scripture. And so if your word is love, you're gonna, that, that is going to be the, the starting point for how you see everything. If it's sovereignty, like every passage is going to go back to the power and the majesty of God. And, and, and I think that that was a really helpful thing for me because it's like, hey, listen, um, there are things that I have decided to believe about God, right? Because faith is not passive. Faith is a decision to believe things about God. So there are things that I've decided that I believe about God that mean that um, for, for passages like these, they don't trouble me in the same way they don't trouble Tom, because I know how to read these based on what I have decided I believe about God. And, and Tom's done the same thing. And so it's like, in some ways, you know, like the, the, there's some passages that I think are interesting for a back and forth in terms of, Hey, how do you read this? Cause let me tell you how I read this. Um, but it, you know, it's like the, the, I don't think that for me, uh, it's really one of those things where, um, it's like the, all right, so, uh, you know, there's this passage, you know, what do you do with that? It's really more of, it's, it's a, I totally understand like how you read this Tom. And, and that makes perfect sense to me, even though I don't believe it. I, uh, I, I, I think Jack is right. Your, your fundamental assumptions, your presuppositions shape the way you read scripture. Now you might hear that and think, well, okay, I either started with love or power. And so now I'm predestined to read the Bible <laughs> a particular way. And that's, you know, my theology yep. is already set. But what I find happens is that it's usually our life experiences, our wrestling with hard questions, Mm -hmm. sometimes trauma, abuse, whatever. Those things sort of kick us out of these default modes and we start to question those assumptions and presuppositions. And then sometimes people will jump to a different way of reading the Bible because of their personal experiences. Um, and here, you know, I think obviously I'm an open theist. I think we have a preferable way to read the Bible and take account of our, our personal experiences. But I could imagine someone going the other way as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I okay. think that's really I think that's really good and important. Like one of the things I realized when 
when we had kids a few years ago is, and they started getting a little bit older, I kind of realized, uh, it's like, okay, so I, I feel like probably no one should have any real opinions on sin um, until they have kids. Uh, <laughs> just because it's like, it really did, like having having kids really upended all of what I thought about sin, just because, look, you have these, they're basically sinners that don't sin. Because they do things that are rebellious, and they do things that are contrary to your will, and yet, it's like they're clearly not culpable. And so what does that do to your concept of what sin is? And so anyway, so that's one of the things it's like, so, like, as I, I read um, a guy years ago, it was like a, a German theologian from the 40s, and he, he kind of had this, I, I think he wrote a book called a, a Little Book for Theologians, and it's really good. And it's, uh, do you know that book? And yeah, yeah, how much? Yes, Monica? yes, totally. and 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 he has a, he has a thing in there where he he says, and it's been a long time since I've read it, so I'm going to paraphrase this poorly, but he basically says like um, theology is kind of like a pair of pants that don't quite fit, and you can wear them, um, and you can know all there is to know, but eventually you grow into them, and and theology is this thing where you can you can know everything there is to know about God as comforter, but until you walk through grief you don't really know that. And and I think that if your theology, if your understanding of God doesn't change as you go through life, that is a very insufficient and defective understanding of God. Because going back to the marriage analogy you made, Tom, you know, my understanding of my wife is profoundly different than it was years ago. My understanding of myself is profoundly different than it was uh, a few years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, and I, I think that it's really important that we do that. And I think that, I, I know we've got to wrap up here in a few minutes. I think that kind of the one thing that, that for me is sort of the, um, like I think every everyone's probably got there this far and no farther with things. And I think my thing with, with open theism is, um, you know, Tom, you talked about the anthropomorphisms and how sort of open theists are more, more kind of ready to do that. And sort of, they've kind of made their peace with that. And I, and I think that's, that's really, that is a really, really good way of explaining it. Cause for me, um, I, I think that my, my concern, my hesitancy with open theism is, um, is, it looks at this at these series of problems, and, and, and you know, open theism. Everyone tries to do kind of some different things. It's not a monolith, but it kind of looks at these problems. And from my perspective, it says, "Well, you know, we can solve these if we make God more like us." And and I think that's that's kind of my fundamental perception of what I see it doing. And that's for me, it's like the the opposite of how I try to resolve those things. Um, and it's like again, I understand it. But it's, it's almost like it's the opposite in terms of the, um, rather than making God more like us, I think we're called to be more like him. And so, and, and no, I don't think you disagree with that statement, right? Like, you know. No, no, um, but I would say it's hard to be like God if God is totally different from us. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there has to be some analogies oh, there. Oh, for sure. And, and I, well, and, and I think, you know, I think for me, that is, you know, that is a lot of what, it's Christmas time, hey, that's a lot of what the incarnation does. Um, is it, is it kind of says, hey, this is it, it is the it is the imminent part of transcendence. Um, it is it is the transcendent meeting the imminent. I think just to sort of defend open theism sure. uh, a little bit to what you say, I think open theists would say, you know, yes, we are talking about God in ways that has similarities to us, but what we think traditional theology has done 
is taken certain philosophical claims about God's relation to time, that God is timeless, or God's power, omnipotence, God can do anything, and replaced those, or taken those classic philosophical notions and inserted them into Christian theology. Now, the Bible has a lot of things to say about God, so I don't want to say it's a systematic theology. But the open theist is going to say, if you take the general drift, if you look at the preponderance, the overall message of Scripture, it sure fits better with an open relational view of God than many of the traditional theologies that seem to assume a certain philosophical notion about God's being timeless, omnipotent, etc. Now, that's debatable. We can argue about but that's just the way open theists would want to talk about it. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with that statement, honestly. All right, so... I'm going to shoot through these. We're going to have to be a little more brief with with these last with these last questions. But Old Testament prophecy coming to pass is that because God knew that He was going to make them come to pass? Like, you know, the I don't know how it's worded, but it was prophesied that that yeah, oops. the majority of prophecy in the Old Testament isn't predictive prophecy. That portion of prophecy that is predictive prophecy. Open theists say God can predict things that God will do in the future because God has power over what God will do. There are a few passages that seem to suggest that it's predictive prophecy about what other creatures will do. And I'm an open theist who just says, you know what, open theism doesn't handle those very well. You know, when Jesus says to Peter before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me three times. Like, I just say, you know what, that doesn't fit open theism very well. I think the majority of Scripture does, but there's an exception. And I just sort of live with that. All right, so let's think about this. Just how much more powerful is God than Satan? And I understand that some would ascribe to a more figurative look at Satan and demons, but if we're talking about a real being that rebelled in heaven and took a third of the angels with him, how much more powerful is God than Satan? Immensely more powerful. And it really comes down to one major difference between God and Satan. Satan has a localized body, assuming we have a traditional view of Satan. Okay. Satan has a localized body, is in one place. God is omnipresent. Both of them influence others, Satan negatively, God positively, but God influences absolutely everything at every level in every universe that exists, and Satan is localized and can only influence in particular places. All right, that makes sense. If I were to be an open theist, I would would naturally have different approaches to prayer and I was thinking about this and I don't see I don't see any other way that I would say dear God today let me tell you what I plan on doing and I'm going to I'm going to try to talk to this person about this and I really am trying to be a better dad in, in these areas, and and then I would almost want to set up a strategy of, so here's the things that I need you to do for me, if you don't mind. I, I need help with this. I need help with that. And it's almost like I would it, it would be more of a meeting of, these are the things that I'm hoping for. Can, can we figure something out together? I think that's pretty fair. A friendship, something like that. When I pray in the mornings, I usually say things like, God, I seek your wisdom today. I, con- I now focus in on your loving presence in my life, and I want to walk in the way I feel like you're calling me. 
I don't think that's particularly odd for Christians to say, but that fits the way I think about God's power. I don't say, God, today, make everybody agree with what I'm going to say. I don't say, God, force Uncle Joe to become a Christian today. I don't do that because I don't think God has that kind of power. And I don't think most Christians do that either. Yeah. Okay. All right. Two more questions. I appreciate y'all's time. Y'all are very generous with it. When I think of, because I, I, you know, at the very beginning, I really think it makes sense that if people truly have free will, what if that's just not knowable? Then that would include God. When I think of God being uncreated, so always existing, there is no way that I can wrap my mind around it. I have to let that go, and or, or actually I have fun with it. I think about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is just unbelievable. And But as far as like, you know, I'm going to try to figure that out. I'm going to try to do some research on that. It's just... I, the human mind can't grasp it. So that's an example of one thing that the human mind can't grasp about God. Why can't God knowing people and what they're going to do with their free will also fall into the category of something that we just can't figure that out? All right. Let me make a distinction and hopefully you'll get what I'm pointing to here, but because it's kind of a fine line. Let me distinguish between conceptually coherent and experientially comprehensible. <laughs> now, the idea that God as everlastingly exists, that's conceptually coherent. There's nothing illogical about that, but it's not experientially comprehensible. Like you said, I just can't imagine experientially what that is like. Now, can God know the future and us have free will? Open theists say, nope, that's not conceptually coherent. Now, others disagree with us, but we say that's not conceptually coherent. So that's undermining the, co- the coherency argument in a way different from the claim that God is everlastingly existent. All right, we've made it to the finish line. Here's my last <laughs> question, and that is I want to take 9-11 at, and, and use this as an example God didn't know what everybody was going to do, you know, if, if open theism is, is correct. He didn't know the free will. He didn't know what the hijackers were, were going to do. He didn't know what, how George Bush was going to respond and all of that. But what it, is it possible that God is like a perfect detective? Mm. And, and because he's everywhere, he actually did see the plotting. He mm. did hear bin Laden talking. He did hear mm. the hijackers, you know, talk about how they're going to lose their lives for a law mm-hmm. and end up with a bunch of virgins or, or God just was like, Oh my gosh. I, Oh my gosh. September the 11th, 2001, all hell is going to break loose. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm going to go ahead and start preparing for helping or setting up some strategy. Like, could God be a perfect detective? Yeah. Awesome question. And your question gets at a difference between open theists in their own camp. So here, let me appeal to a really wise philosopher named William Hasker. He and I are in a part of a, a InterVarsity press book on the problem of evil. 
and he offers an open theology view. I offer my open theology view, which has a different view of God's power. And Bill Hasker's view says, nope, God didn't know for certain that 9-11 was going to happen. But God knew moment by moment up to those planes going into the building what was likely to happen. I mean, God can predict the future with uncanny accuracy, at least the, you know, the, the near future. And yet in his view, God had the power to stop it, but didn't. In my view, God not only can't foreknow the future, but also God can't control other creatures and other things in the world. And so from my perspective, even God being the perfect detective doesn't make God capable of controlling others or other things. Jack, you got any response to that? Any any thoughts? Sure. In fact, in fact, um, Tom, thank you. And yeah, you're welcome. Jack, Jack, uh, if you have anything you want to close out with, and Tom, if you have anything you want to close yeah. out with. And, well, well and, let me just say one, one last thing. Uh, first of all, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think we need, we need cool. to we need to do it again. <laughs> um, well, it's fine. I was I was I actually like thinking earlier, um, Joe, you 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 and Tom were kind of talking about. Um, you know, uh, kind of a little bit about universalism and, and kind of the, you know, hope that all would be saved. And I was thinking like, gosh, Joey and I, you talk about that and that's kind of where I am. And maybe we need to do like a, uh, <laughs> just a podcast on that. Um, uh, so, um, you know, it's funny. It's like, sure, 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 9-11. But for me, it's like the, hey, look, let's take evil out of the equation. To me, it's actually more problematic to say, hey, so, um, you know, an old woman falls down the stairs at her home and breaks her hip. Well, there's no evil involved in that. There's no free will involved in that. To me, it's way more of an issue to think, well, why didn't God stop that? Something where someone gets hurt and there's no free will involved. Like 9-11, to me, it's just like, look, people are evil and people do evil things. And, and to me, there's like, there, there are things you can talk about. But maybe topic for another episode. But to me, it's actually way more problematic when you take... Um, free will decisions out of the equation because there's no real reason from our perspective why God wouldn't just be like, oops, Daisy, we'll push you back up the stairs. I mean, so anyway, that, that is for another episode. Um, I totally, I totally agree with you. And that's why I keep saying anyone or anything to account for what some people call natural sure. evils to say that, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, um, this has been a lot of fun. I, I don't really have any, any closing remarks other than to say that I, I really enjoyed this. Um, I love learning so, so much, and this has been so much fun. Thanks. I've enjoyed it too. Maybe, maybe I'll close in this way. Um, I've been proposing some ideas that uh, I don't want anyone to get the impression that I think I've got everything figured out that I know all there is to know, that my theology is sure and certain, and that, like, you know, this was given to me straight from God, and it's all, everything's buttoned up. However, I don't want people to think I'm just pulling stuff out of my ass and just winging things. Like, this is something yeah. I've never thought about. The ideas I'm presenting here are a model of God that I find most persuasive, not only intellectually, but also experientially, biblically, the way I live my life. Now, I don't think everyone's going to agree with me on everything. I don't think that's the way the world is. But I propose these ideas to you and to your listeners as a possible way to make sense of how we live our lives. And at least from my perspective, a motivation, an inspiration to live a life of love. I like it. 
I like it. <clears throat> All right, so I will tell folks that you can go to Thomas J J A Y Ord O O R D dot com and Thomas or, or Tom has written Women Experiencing Faith. Rethinking the Bible, Inerrancy, Preaching, Inspiration, Authority, Formation, Postmodernism, Archaeology, and more. And then I think most recently, God Can't, How to Believe in God and Love After Tragedy, Abuse, and Evil. And Jack is starting a book, Oh Yes He Can, Damn what? It. Um, and I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> this is news to me. <laughs> oh Yes He Can. I love it. <laughs> All right, guys. It was fun. 